Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. Fall short, we'll certainly buy it, but um, certainly want you guys to have a chance to participate in that. And then also, uh, I announced this last week, Family Sunday is the last Sunday of October. Um, it's this sun, you know, October has five Sundays in it, and so in any given month where we have five Sundays, we deem that as Family Sunday here at Grace. Um, and that's an opportunity for us to come together. First of all, we, uh, we take communion on that day as a church family to remember what Jesus did for us, although we remember it every Sunday and every day of our lives, hopefully. But it's a great opportunity to take communion together as a church family. But we're going to uh, do something fun uh, during that service um, at the conclusion of the service. Matter of fact, when you come in that Sunday, the back half of the sanctuary will be set up with uh, tables, and we're going to have a cover dish dinner that day so the lobby the kids first through fifth graders will be in here the lobby will be set up with all the food that you bring in uh, and then we'll eat in here after the service is over so that's going to be a fun time as well so uh, make plans to be a part of that bring out your meat and your side dish or your meat and your dessert Um, so that's taking place so I would tell you that you may want to go out and take a look and sign up at the information table as you're leaving regarding what you're bringing Um, (coughs) if you notice everybody's (laughs) bringing ham biscuits and maybe people don't like ham biscuits, so maybe you want to pick something else. So just take a look at the list and, then, and let us know what you're bringing. But that's taking place on the last Sunday of this month. And, you know, uh, I, I said this last week, you know, we don't do those things just to, I mean, we certainly want to fellowship and be a fun church where we can meet friends and hang out together. But we also do those as sort of placeholders where you could maybe invite somebody who normally wouldn't come. Uh, we're going to have the, uh, you know, the football pregame stuff on the screen here while we're eating, and it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and so if you've got a friend or somebody that doesn't have a church home, invite them out to be a part of the church um, and, and participate that day. So that's taking place. Also on that day, we'll be uh, recognizing uh, new f- folks that have signed up and uh, have recently called Grace their home and, and have placed their membership with us. And so we've got four or five families that we'll be recognizing that week. So a good thing there as well. Um, so don't forget about family Sunday. All right. Uh, I want to go ahead and uh, uh, jump into our message with the remaining time we have today. Hopefully I can get you out a little bit before noon, uh, maybe even sooner than that. Uh, But I want to talk to you about, um, uh, I want to continue the series we've been teaching on love. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35 is our foundational text for this series. And so uh, we're going to read that and then let's pray and believe God for what he has for us. In verse 34, it says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is the truth, and it is the truth of your word that sets us free, that causes our lives to be everything you planned them to be, which is a life full of blessing and a life just that's full And so I thank you that as we approach your word today, your Holy Spirit will reveal and unfold your word to us. I pray, Father, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know who it is you've called us to be. I pray, Father God, that your spirit would rest upon me and enable me to say the things that need to be said and eliminate the things that don't need to be said, and that you'd rest upon the heart of the hearer so that their eyes are open to see your truth. And I thank you, Father, by the end of this, we will be able to say, because you are faithful, my life is better because I came to church today. And I just give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, we've been talking about love. This is the 10th week we've been talking about love. I told you guys I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't talk about love for the next year. Um, uh, and mainly because it's just something the Lord laid on my heart to do. Um, we could teach on a number of topics, but he just laid it on my heart to do that. And he called out this verse of scripture. And, you know, this is the commandment. This is what we are called to be as believers. And, and one of the things we talked about is, is that notice what he says there. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So one of the things we've pointed out and really want to stress this morning is, is that, you know, for us to walk in the kind of love that God has uh, placed, uh, the desires for us to, to walk in, we, we should be a disciple of Jesus. It's actually something you cannot do as a mere human being. For you to walk in the God kind of love, you have to have the Holy Spirit and God's nature on the inside of you. And we see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That first phrase jumped out at me, so maybe this would help you this morning. Notice it says, therefore, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith. Notice that verse of scripture says we're made right by faith. Well, the, uh, yeah, the definition of faith, it says uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the evidence of things hoped for it's, it's, uh, and the things not seen, right? So faith is to believe something that you can't necessarily see. And so what this verse says is it says we're made right in God's sight even though we can't necessarily see it sometimes. How many of you ever fell short of the mark before? How many of you disappointed your own self even in your own actions, knowing you shouldn't have done that? You know, it's not the way God called us to live, right? But notice what this verse says. It says we're made right with God by faith. You're not made right with God by perfection. You're not made right with God because you're perfect and you just keep everything the way it should be. You're not made right by God because you don't yell at the guy in front of you when he pulls out in front of you when you're driving this week, although you shouldn't do that, right? We're made right with God by faith. So what that means is, is this morning you can know if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you don't feel like you're right with God, because just yesterday or even this morning you did something you shouldn't have done, if you'll grab a hold of faith because of what Jesus did, he says you're right with him. That's good news this morning, amen? Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, if you'll put your faith in him, you're right with him. And it says, and, and, so, and so what that says, though, at the end of this verse, it says, by this, it says uh, in verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. That's more good news. Because you've accepted Jesus and because God considers you right with him, even though you may not have earned it, you stand in this place of great privilege, this place where you just blessing upon blessing you can receive. But then verse 5 says this, and we know how dearly God loves us, notice this, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's a change in their nature. They become a new creation, old things pass away, behold, all things become new, and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. But what this verse says is, not only does the Holy Spirit come to live in you, but he actually pours his very nature into you. His love becomes a part of who you are as a spiritual being. And the reason I bring that out is this, is because the kind of love we're talking about, Jesus said it's by this kind of love that the Holy Spirit pours into your heart that men are going to know you're my disciples. See, it's one thing to try to love you. The world talks about love. All we need is love. You know, we talk about that all the time, right? But if you want to love the way God loves and the kind of love we've been talking about, you can't do that by sheer human effort. 
Matter of fact, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he doesn't live in your heart, you can try to mimic that behavior, but your flesh will grow weary and you will eventually fall short of that mark. Why? Because your flesh was not made to, your current flesh, it's not completely redeemed yet. So, and when I say your flesh, I'm not talking about your body, right? I'm talking about your human nature, right? That human nature is designed, it's actually because of the fall of Adam, it actually is selfish and self-serving. And you'll eventually grow weary of showing the kind of love we've been talking about. What's the kind of love we've been talking about? The kind of love we've been talking about is a love that, that forgives when you want to punch somebody in the mouth, right? The kind of love we've been talking about is the kind of love that puts some of the other people before ourselves, even though we might want to put ourselves to the front of the line. The kind of love we've been talking about is a love that sacrifices and says, no, I will let you go first while I take second fiddle for a little while, right? That's so different than the world around us. And, you know, we can talk about that in our Christian lives, you know, being a good Christian, but how many of you realize that applies to everyday life? When you're in the workplace and you have the opportunity to get ahead and somebody else has also got an opportunity to get ahead, it would be uncommon to say, no, you go ahead, wouldn't it? But see, the unrenewed, why, and why is that hard for a natural person to do that? Because a natural, unrenewed mind says, well, if I don't ever look out for me, how am I ever going to get ahead? But the love of God actually says, you know what? I'm going to trust God to take care of me. I ain't got to worry about me. I'm going to love people, and he'll take care of me getting mine. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, God will take care of me getting mine. And so as a believer, we have this supernatural love on the inside of us, but it requires us to yield to it. Everybody say yield. You ever notice when you get on the, you ever seen somebody try to get on the interstate and they don't know what the word yield means? They think the word yield means stop. And what's the first thing you want to do? Hey, move on, you, right? We don't want to walk in love then, right? But the word yield means to give way to another. It means it doesn't mean you necessarily need to slow down, but it means you need to stop and yield or give place to something else. And so for us to be able to walk in the kind of love that God's called us to walk in, we have to be willing to yield to what God has placed in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of of God. And so that verse tells us that if we are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in us. We read earlier in that verse before. The Spirit of God lives in us, and so if we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, we need to yield to Him, right? But I think a lot of times when we read that verse or think about being led by the Spirit of God, we think about it as, you know, where we're going in life directionally, right? I, I need to know what decision to make, so I need to be led by God's Spirit, I need to know what direction to go in, so I need God to show me which way. And we think about being led that way, and that's certainly being led by God's Spirit. And we want to do what God wants us to do when we make our decisions in life, right? But, but i got to tell you, being led by God's Spirit is much more elementary than that. That's sort of the end result. I mean, you'll be able to hear God if you get led in this area I'm about to talk about, because being led by God's Spirit is simply yielding to the nature of God on the inside of you. It's giving place when your heart says, Forgive them, even though you don't want to. Bless them, even though they've cursed you. Pray for them, even though they've hurt you, right? Show them grace, even though they didn't show it to you. Put them first, 
even though they're not thinking about you, right? That yielding to that in your everyday life will allow you to be able to be led by God in the bigger decisions of your life. I would say this, that most people struggle hearing God in the big decisions of life because they haven't become accustomed to yielding to him in their everyday life. But if we'll become people of love and yield to love and yield to the kind of love we've been talking about, give way to that when everything in us says, no, that ain't going to work, it don't make no sense. If we'll yield to that love in our hearts, we'll be able to also be able to hear from him when we're making big decisions in life. And so we're endeavoring to grow in this love as a group of believers. We've been talking about it for nine weeks. This is week number 10. We've pointed out a lot of different things. We've pointed out, first of all, love does put others first. It prefers others. I told you Kyle I wasn't going to read these, and now I am. So I'm glad you kept them in there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Love prefers someone, so it puts them first. It puts them in the front seat, not myself in the front seat. That means in all of our relationships, our wives, our kids, our children, right? Our husbands, if you're a wife, right? We have to uh, live our lives in such a way that says, I am, my life is about you. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, my life is about you. See, now instantly our unrenewed minds would say, but what about me? Well, I'll tell you what, you get around a group of believers like this and we're all thinking about each other, guess what? Me will get taken care of. Right? You'll get taken care of. God will lead somebody to take care of you. God will cause that person. So we said love puts others first. We said love won't intentionally hurt someone. Romans 13.10 says love never does anything in a har- that is harmful to its neighbor. And so in the decisions we make in life, we all, love will stop before we make a decision and say, is this going to hurt someone? Right? And I don't mean hurt someone in such a way like disciplinary or something like that. If you're a parent, you've got to discipline your kids. Sometimes that hurts in that way, but that hurts so good if you do it the right way. Right? But what we're talking about is, is love won't do something that will hurt someone else if we know it's going to hurt them. It'll, it'll say, even though that decision may be the best for me, I can't do it. I can't make that choice. We also said, love covers the shortcomings of others. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he that covereth the transgression seeketh love. It says, a person that loves people won't go blabbing everything that person's done wrong and point them out and gossip about them. They'll actually cover it and pray for them. How do you cover it? You know, if you cover something in in the garden, you know, you cover it with dirt, right? We're not talking about burying a matter. How do you cover a a fault of another? You pray for them. You see somebody falling short? You know, I tell you what, you'd put a lot of conversations over your Friday night dinner with your friends to a screeching halt if people started talking bad about somebody. You said to them, hey, let's pray for them. Wouldn't be long people quit talking about people around you, right? And you could walk in love the way God wants you to walk in love. We said love cares for each other, love doesn't demean people. And then last week we said this, love will seek people out that have need. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 11 says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And so we said the nature of God and he is love is he's constantly looking for someone in need. If you're in need this morning, I want you to know something. God is looking for you. You're not looking for him. You may be looking for him, but he's looking for you harder than you're looking. And if you'll just stop and turn towards him, he will meet your need. He will help you. He will bless you. He'll he'll lead you down a path to change in your life that will cause things to get better. 
And so God seeks people out. And so if that's the case, then our love nature, we should get up, and these messages should remind us, we should get up every day and say, the, the goal of my life is to walk in love. That's my highest goal. That's my highest aim. So I'm going to find somebody I can be a blessing to, somebody that needs me to bless them. You know, if you made that the goal every day of your life, you'd do pretty good by the end of every day if you fulfilled it. Amen? And so, and so that's what happens. And so even last week we introduced or reintroduced this, this idea of 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 as, us as, as a church family. Five families for three straight weeks to one growing body in Christ. We talked about as a church family, our goal should be that every three months we should be believing God that collectively if we all look for people who have need, right? We're not talking about, you know, being a church that has a campaign to grow, right? I, it's not about numbers, it's about people, and God loves people. If you read that verse in Ezekiel, he's looking for people that he wants to bless. So if you have people in your life that you love, and they don't have a, a, a relationship with the Lord, or they don't have an active church attendance in their life, that you would look across your life and say, you know what, it's going to be my goal that I'm going to try to get that family to this church for three consecutive weeks. Because I believe God is here, and I believe God can help them, and I believe that God cares about them, and I believe that this is one of the things that could make their life actually better. How many of you are here this morning because you believe coming to church can make your life better? Well, if you don't, I would ask you why you're here. Right? I mean, you know what? It ain't, for me, it ain't about growing. If you don't think it's going to make your life better, just sit at home and watch Meet the Pressed. Right? But if you believe it'll make your life better, then man, why not share that with somebody else? Love would do that. And so let's make that our goal. And so today I want to look at another aspect of love. John chapter 15 and verse 7 says this. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. How many of you realize that's a good promise? An unqualified promise. Just what do you want? If you abide with him, you'll ask what you want and it'll be done for you. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. That's how, you, how do you abide in him? You abide in love, right? You walk in love. It, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will, be, you will abide in my love, just as the I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, notice this, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We pointed out that we walk in love, and when we do, it's not a burdensome thing. It's not a burdensome thing because it, 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 he says when you do it, when you walk in that kind of love, a genuine love that says I care more about you than I care about me, and you live it out, the Bible says there that your joy will be full. That word full means complete. That means you'll have a satisfying situation in your life. And so when we walk in love, we're genuinely happy to do it, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 says, And I will very gladly... Spend and be spent for your souls. Paul said, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to lay down my life. I'm glad to put you first. I'm glad to forgive you. I'm glad to bless you. And the reason he's glad to do it is because he was genuine. And he's glad for it for a number of reasons. Number one, for the general reason that he's, if you really walk in love, you're happy, right, when someone else gets ahead. You're happy when someone else is blessed. And so that's one of the reasons we do it, because it brings you joy to see someone else get blessed. But another reason we do it is found right there in those verses we read from Jesus. Number one, because it gives you full joy. It gives you soul satisfaction. Man, i got to tell you some of the greatest blessings in my life, some of the greatest, you know, everybody talks about I'm getting the feels. You ever heard that? You know, it's not part of my vocabulary, but you ever heard anybody say that? 
One of the biggest ways I've ever gotten the feels in my life is when I've blessed somebody else in spite of what I had to, I needed in my own life. It brought full joy. It brought, brought soul satisfaction. And not only that, but when, when you walk in love, it also brings great joy for us because it relinquishes the control of our life. I brought this out in one of our messages prior to this one, and it's this. You know, if you choose to walk in love, if you really choose to live a life that says, you know what, I, I am going to put others first, there is something that has to take place in you. There is a decision you have to make in your heart that you are going to trust God about you. Right? So it establishes an overall attitude of faith that says, I'm going to put others first because I ain't got to worry about me. Right? He's going to take care of me. And I got to tell you, when you make that choice, what I said about three or four weeks ago was, you know, for me, as I've been making this choice, you know, I've been serving the Lord since I was 18 years old, but this message is sort of brought to the forefront again, walking in love. And as I've made a choice to bring that to the forefront again in my life, I said it was sort of like somebody's letting the air out of a basketball. I mean, it's sort of like something's leaving my life. What's leaving my life? What's leaving my life is I put others first and sacrifice. What's leaving my life is the, 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 the hustle and bustle and striving of trying to make my life something uh, by my own hand and my own strength. Because, see, that's what's at the core of selfishness. It's a mindset that says, I got to get mine. I got to go get it. But when you choose to walk in love and say, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to put other people first. You've got to give God the control. And when you give God the control, man, that is so refreshing. Man, it's so liberating. It's so liberating to live your life that way. Man, to embrace an attitude that faith that says, I'm not going to care about mine. I'm going to truly be a person that gives. And so, and so in light of this joy that we get from walking in love, I want to bring out one other aspect of love this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 says this. It says, love is patient. Now I'll tell you this, this portion of scripture right here, I'm following up this series with a series as this is our foundational text, more love. So if you, if you don't like hearing about love, you might as well get used to it. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, notice this, but rejoices with the truth. I want you to notice that love rejoices. This is what I want to talk to you about today, love rejoices. Everybody say love rejoices. Love rejoices. That word rejoice means to take part in another's, actually if you look it up, that word rejoice is, it means in Strong's Concordance. This is the actual literal definition of it. It doesn't mean it just says, woo, you know, I'm happy, right? That word rejoice means to take part in another's joy. So love rejoices in the joy of someone else. And so what does it rejoice about in the joy of someone else? Notice what it says. Love rejoices with the truth. Everybody say the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he also said, thy word is truth. Love rejoices. Here it is. Love rejoices when the will of God and the truth of God manifest in the life of someone else. Now, see, a lot of people think, well, that means, you know, love rejoices when people live right and do right and don't smoke, drink, and chew, and they're good little Christians. How many of you realize that's part of walking in the truth? That's part of the truth manifesting. We should rejoice in that, right? Matter of fact, we see that Paul rejoiced in that. 
And we'll see that in just a moment. Love rejoices when people actually walk in the truth. But what we find to be true is this, is not only is love rejoice when people are walking in the truth, but how many of you realize Jesus said you should know the truth and the truth will make you free? Right? So love also rejoices not only when people do right and live right, but love rejoices when people get free. Love rejoices when truth prevails. How many of you realize God promises us in his word? He wants to bless you. He wants to uh, uh, honor you. He wants to set you on high. He wants to protect you. He wants to bless you in your finances, heal you, all of those things. And the scripture tells us that love rejoices when people actually get ahead, when people actually win in life. Love rejoices when others when truth prevails. And so it's important for us to remember that because how many of you realize the human nature, how many of you have things you want in your life? How many of you have some right now you're believing God for that would be a real godsend if it showed up? Maybe it's a real glaring need you've got to have met. How many can wave your hand and say, I got something like that? All right, the rest of you, if you're so abundantly supplied, then the offering bucket's right here. Church could really use your offering. I'm just kidding. How many, of you, how many of you all have things we want out of life that we don't have right now, but we want? Where was I going with all this? Love rejoices when someone else gets theirs. See, what happens a lot of times in our life is because we want and we want, when you see somebody else win, you can almost at the chagrin of them be like, well, why didn't I get mine? You ever been there, done that? Been standing, believing, fighting, being faithful, honoring God, and somebody else gets blessed, and your first thing out of your mouth is, well, I don't understand why they got blessed and I didn't. I'm trying. I'm standing. I'm believing. Have you ever been there done that before? See, but love doesn't do that. Love says it rejoices. It, 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 it rejoices when truth prevails in a person's life. And so there's two ways that truth can prevail in a person's life. First of all, the way it can prevail is simply in this, in our relationships. How many of you realize, if, if you're in a relationship in your life, how many of you have ever had a conflict in that relationship? You didn't agree on something. Can you raise your hand? Can anybody say that's me? Well, here's the thing about love. In relationships, when relationships face conflict, Truth or, or love rejoices when uh, in that moment of conflict, truth prevails. It doesn't rejoice when I get my way. It rejoices when God's way prevails in that circumstance, right? Because how many of you realize when you have an argument or when you're at a conflict in life, there are three sides to every story. I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before. There's that person's side, there's my side, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth, Right? That side is their perspective, my side's my perspective, and in the middle there is truth. And what that verse of scripture tells us is something that's very important for us to remember if we want our relationships to be successful. When relationships face conflict, we must be people that make a decision to say, I'm going to rejoice in the truth prevailing here instead of me being proved right. Right? Because the reason conflicts don't resolve in most relationships is because there's my way and your way and my way's right. And you got to see that and you better change to do it my way because if you don't do it my way, everybody's going to pay for it. Right? I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I ain't going to talk to you. I'm going to be angry at you. Right? But in relationships, if we want our relationships to flourish and be set free, because Jesus said the truth will make you free, 
then we have to choose to walk in love in those situations and say, you know what, this is not about my, me being right. This is not about you being right. This is about us discovering what the real truth is that will solve this. Because how many of you realize something? How many realize you can be 100% right and the other person 100% wrong? I can just stop right there. Right? How many of you married people, you just know they're right, I'm right, they're wrong, I know I'm right. Here's the deal. You can be 100% right and they can be 100% wrong and still if you get them to just dig, if you just dig your heels in to get them to admit that that you're right and they're wrong, truth will not prevail. You say, well, me being 100% right, isn't that the truth? No. Truth sets people free. You can be 100% right, but your 100% right may not be the answer to solve the conflict. See, the, the goal of solving conflicts in our life is not to win. That's the world's way, right? The goal to solving conflicts in our life is for love to prevail, for me to look at a situation and say it's not just about me being right. They may have things going on in their life that they don't don't see it the way I see it, and because they don't see it the way I see it, they're responding differently than what I know to be 100% true. And love will say, I'm going to stop in a minute, I'm going to dig, I'm going to back up for a minute, and I'm going to take a moment to see it from all perspectives, because that's what love does. Love steps out of the equation and says, it's not about me. This is relationship stuff, right? You can use this in your week-to-week life with the people you live with. See, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. We're talking about seeking to understand the situation from a different point of view. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So notice he's talking about being rooted and grounded in love, right? That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Three different, four different perspectives there, right? Breadth, length, depth, height. What is he talking about, breadth, length, depth, height? Well, in the next verse he sheds light on it. And to know the love of Christ would pass of knowledge that, might be, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So notice what he says there. In every situation in your life, I want you to be so rooted and grounded in love that when you come in even to a conflict in a relationship, your mindset is, wait a minute, I want to see it from all perspectives. I don't want to just see it from my perspective because I'm right and I know I'm right and it's got to be done the way I said it's got to be done, right? No, I, I want to I look at it from their perspective. Because maybe there's something going on in their life. Maybe there's something they need from me in this situation. They don't need me to be right. They need me to be compassionate. They need me to be loving. They need me to be willing to change and be flexible. Right? See, if you want to succeed in relationships, love rejoices in the opportunity to look at a moment of conflict and say, you know what, I'm going to find the truth in this. I'm not going to find out how I was right and they were wrong. I'm going to find the truth of the matter. I'm going to find out what's affecting them. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, Lord, let your love permeate this situation. Let's make the decision that's best for everybody. And you know, sometimes the decision that's best for everybody is you just to put your right on the back seat and to love the other person. Amen? Amen. And so love rejoices when truth prevails in our relationship. John, John chapter 8 and verse 32 says this. It says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, what's going to set that relationship free from the conflict? It's not going to be you digging in and fighting with them. 
What's going to set the relationship free is you making a decision to say, let's find the common answer, right? Let's, let's find a way that we can resolve this together. Let's find the truth that's going to make this relationship work. That's the kind of love that rejoices when truth prevails. Another way that tr truth prevails, or another way that rejoices when truth prevails is not only in, in our relationships, but as I said earlier, it rejoices in the victories of others. It rejoices when other people succeed. As I said before, we can sometimes find ourselves chagrined at the success of another with a mindset of, you know what, they got ahead and I'm still waiting on mine. God, I don't understand. You're not necessarily mad at them even, right? But you're just upset. But the Bible says in those moments, love rejoices in someone else. How can you do that? Let me tell you how you can do that. Because love thinks of the other person and puts me to the back seat. Stops thinking about mine and theirs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 says, love does not envy it does not boast, it's not proud. So, so love doesn't envy when someone else gets ahead. It, is, it, it rejoices in it. Why? Because it's genuinely excited for them. You know, how many times in our life have people come to us and told us something great that happened in their life, but we were so consumed with our own self that we didn't stop to really genuinely rejoice with them? Right? I mean, the first question I would ask is, why do you think they shared it with us in the first place? Because they want someone to rejoice with them. And yet we're too busy sometimes because we're thinking about ours and our agenda. But God's love doesn't see a person uh, as, uh, as someone in the way of my agenda. God's love says, I'm going to rejoice when they rejoice. Second John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, I can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many members of your congregation are diligent in living out the truth. Notice he said, I can't tell you how happy I am that someone else is succeeding. I think about that phrase, I can't tell you how happy I am. I mean, you know, when you would say something like that, you're saying, I'm overwhelmed by this, right? And what I want to get to is this, as a group of believers, as a church, as individuals, we should be the biggest cheerleaders in people's lives. We should be the, I mean, we should be looking to throw parties for people every time they succeed, even in the littlest things of life. Right? We should be the ones willing to stop and say, it isn't, it isn't, I'm not too busy, let's, let's hear about it. Tell me what happened. And then we're willing to rejoice with them, truly rejoice with them. See, many times in our life the reason we're so weak and depressed is because we're so consumed thinking about our stuff. But what would happen if you just made this the point of your life? I'm not going to think about me, I'm going to find somebody to tell me something good that happened in their life, and I'm going to rejoice about it. And when I start getting depressed about my situation, I'm going to say, you know what, it's time to throw a party. It's time for me to find somebody I can rejoice with. So as you came in this morning, hopefully the, the greeting team asked you to do this. How many of you actually wrote down something good that has happened for you over the last 30 days in your life? How many actually wrote something down? Okay, so I know some people don't like to, you ready for this? Uh, I know some people don't speak uh, publicly very well and they don't want to, so I'm not going to single you out. But here's the thing is this, I, I just felt like I, I wanted the Lord, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. See, and I'm going to ask you in a moment, so I want you to be thinking about it if you're willing to do it. I'm going to ask a few people just to stand up and read to me what happened that was a good thing in your life in the last 30 days. You know, old, old school, we used to call it testimony services, Right? Why, why do you give testimony services? Well, I think for some re sometimes people need people to rejoice with, right? But there's a benefit in it from us. 
See, here's the thing about walking in love. When God calls us to walk in love and display his love and all the different facets of what that means, we don't do it for this reason, but there's always a benefit for us when we do it. And I want to show you what the benefit is in rejoicing with others. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, And Nehemiah continued, he was speaking to the children of Israel, they were rebuilding the walls of Israel, and it says this, And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Do, do not be dejected or sad. Notice this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice what he said there. He says, when you choose to rejoice, it produces strength in your own life. When you choose to rejoice with others, it produces spiritual joy. See, there's a difference in spiritual joy and natural happiness. Natural happiness comes from the things that we have and the things that we do and the inputs of life, right? And sometimes you're happy and sometimes life throws a curveball at you and you're not real happy. Haven't you been there before? But spiritual joy is something that's on the inside of us that always resides on the inside of us. And that joy can be mustered up in a lot of different ways. One of the ways you can do it is through praise and worship. You can give the Lord praise and draw joy from the wells of salvation, the Bible says. But another way you can find joy in your life is what this verse says is by celebrating. By simply stopping to celebrate, truly celebrate with a heart of joy. Notice what he talks about. He's not just talking about going, oh, that's really good for you. I'm happy for you. What's the next thing on in life? No, he's talking about throwing a party. He's talking about throwing an actual party. He's saying get food, get drinks, come together and rejoice from the bottom of your heart genuinely for someone else. Think about it for a moment. If we spend our time looking for others to rejoice, how much joy, how much strength will we truly find in life? And so what the Lord really challenged me to do is this. And I want to challenge you to do this this morning. If you wrote down something that happened good for you this weekend, you're genuinely, extremely excited about it and, and be willing to share it. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me, that's me. I'm, uh, Larry, go ahead, Larry. Just stand up real quickly. Keep this short because I've got to get people to beat the Baptist to lunch. So go ahead. Make it quick. So you were out of work, got a new job, and you're starting back to work tomorrow. Everybody, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you. Did you go, that's great, Larry, but I got something in mind. Or did you go, yes, man, Larry, I'm excited for you, man. That's thrilling. Can you imagine, Larry, what he was going through? Didn't have the job he wanted, and now he's got it? Joey, what about you? Tell us what happened. And, and uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but is it a significant increase in what you were making before? Real significant? Woo! That's awesome! See... People, Joey told me that on the way in the door this morning, right? But I'm preparing, getting ready for my mail. Oh, that's great, Joe, man, that's exciting. Who's the next person I got to shake hands with? Yeah, you got something? You got money to pay your bills? Woo, that's awesome. And what? And you're fully retired. Man, that is awesome. I'd love to be retired, but I'm going to rejoice with her about being retired. Amen. G give me another one. Who else has something good that happened? Go ahead. <laughs> she, cancer lost. She got to see her mom. Amen. Who else? One more. Just give me one more. Go ahead.
There you go. There you go. Man, so out of something bad, something good came. Praise God. Come on, let's rejoice about that. See, now let me ask you a question. How many of you really from the bottom of your heart just did what I did? Whoa, instead of just going. That's awesome. Oh, Larry, I'm so happy for you. How many of you really from the bottom of your heart, maybe you didn't yell, right, but from the bottom of your heart, there was real joy you pulled up from within you and said, man, I am so glad for them. I am so excited for them. See, when you do that, man, it just, did you feel the invigoration in your own life? See, celebrating, love celebrates when other people succeed. Love is the biggest cheerleader for other people. And we want to be people that celebrate the successes of others. doesn't downplay it, but it celebrates it, right? When we rejoice like that, not only do they feel blessed, but it also causes us to find great joy. And so what we find to be true here in Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, we see people are looking. If we want to bring people to Jesus, people are looking for people that will celebrate with them. Luke chapter 15 verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that one which is lost until he finds it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors and says, notice what he says, rejoice with me. (laughs) I have found my sheep which is lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the 99 just persons which need no repentance. What's he saying there? He said, I want you to rejoice with me as the musicians come. I just realized I I should have called you sooner, so y'all run. I'm just kidding. But notice what he said. He said, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I want you to think about that for a moment as they're coming, because, you know, know, rejoicing causes this celebratory attitude, right, in our lives. But it has an effect on those around us. And this guy was saying, rejoice with me. See, he was looking for someone to celebrate with him. I am telling you right now, there are people all over the world looking for somebody just to celebrate life with them. Just to celebrate. Why? Number one, lonely. I'll tell you another reason we want to rejoice with people who in little things. When the little things happen, why? Because that one moment of rejoicing can often be the moment that spawns them on to greater things in their life instead of being discouraged when they tell you about the rejoicing. You're like, ah, it's no big deal. That's great. You ever had somebody just suck the wind out of your rejoice party? Just been a true joy squasher. Right? Somebody come in and, I mean, you ever been really excited about something and you came in and said, man, you're not going to believe what happened. And you tell them and they're like, ah, yeah. Doesn't that just squash? Doesn't it even kill the joy and momentum in your own life? You're like, oh, I guess it really wasn't that big a deal. Right? But how many of you realize when God answers a prayer, when a blessing comes into your life, no matter how small it is, it's a big deal. And we need to be people, you know, we've talked a lot about the sacrifice of love. We've talked about the, the forgiving of love. We've talked about the suffering of love, that sometimes you've got to suffer if you go put others first. We talked about all of that. But, you know, there's also an aspect of love that makes life living fun. Did I say that the right way? <laughs> that makes living life fun. Why? Because love truly loves other people so much that at every corner it's looking. When can I celebrate with them? In your workplace, when somebody does something that's good, 
When's the last time you called it out and said, man, that is so massively awesome that you did that, right? Man, you, we should be the biggest cheerleaders. Why? Because people say, man, that guy's different. Oh, he's a disciple of Jesus. See, we need to be the biggest cheerleaders of everybody in the world. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17 says, I am glad and rejoice with you all, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me, right? Man, we should be the biggest party throwers in the world, right? We should be rejoicing on every turn. Man, I, I got to tell you, and, and I would tell you this, if you're depressed and down about your life, man, trust God. But one of the best ways to come out of the mire of being down and depressed about your life is to trust God. Give it to Him. Go find somebody else you can celebrate with. Where you can forget about your carries, forget about your worries, right? And you can just focus on them and rejoice. That kind of rejoicing has an impact on our life being the kind of people that God has called us to be. John chapter 13 verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, what you wanted me to get across this morning has been conveyed and the spirit of it is caught by each person here. That we wouldn't be joy squashers in the lives of others. That we would be people that celebrate. That people would start noticing a noticeable difference in us because now we're not the complainers and the belly achers and the problem seekers and the problem seers. But we're the celebrators of what's going on good in life. And we do it not because we just want to be the happy-go-lucky people that, that you've called us. We don't want to be that. We want to, be, we want to do it because we care about people. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will love like you love. That we will forgive, we will sacrifice, we will put others first. We'll pray for those that hurt us, but we'll also, Father, when we're putting aside all that to be what you've called us to be, we would rejoice. Give you praise and thanks for it. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I made this call once before, but maybe after hearing the message now, you're more comfortable responding. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus and you'd like to do that for the very first time, would you raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to know heaven's my home. If I were to die right now, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Anyone at all? I see that hand. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for raising your hand. As I said, I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. You know, there was a guy in the Bible named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus under the cover of night, and Jesus shared with him the story of what it meant to be born again. I'm just going to do something really simple, and I'm going to ask everybody here to do this with me. If you believe, you raise your hand, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you believe he rose again from the dead, and that he's alive, and you want to make him your Lord, it's the simple belief and confession of Jesus as your Lord that causes you to be saved. And in that moment, when you pray that prayer, you will become a new creation. You will sense God's Spirit come into you. You'll be changed from the inside out. And you'll now walk around with God's nature in you. So if you did raise your hand to that or you didn't and you wished you had of, I'm going to ask you to simply pray a prayer out loud with me. Just repeat after me. And I'm going to ask everybody in the congregation to do this with them. So that they don't feel singled out. They're not made a spectacle of. 
I want you to say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to save me. I confess you as my Lord. Thank you right now for making me your child, for placing your love in me and setting me free from the pain of my past. Thank you that right now I am saved. Heaven's my home. You're my father and my future is bright. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Someone gave their life to the Lord. Let's rejoice with them this morning. Amen. Amen. I will tell you, if you made that choice to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, at the end of their service, we'll have prayer partners standing right at the front here. They have a packet of booklets they want to give you. They just help you understand the decision you made. So as everybody's exiting and nobody's looking, just quietly make your way up front and let them know, I'm the person who prayed that prayer. And they'll pray with you. They'll believe God with you for good things in your life. Amen. You're on a great path. Amen. Well, let's thank God again. Father, we just thank you so much for someone being born again, accepting Jesus. And we thank you for all the wonderful testimonies, all the great things you have done in our lives. We give you praise and thanks for that, Father. And so we're going to take just a moment to do that. Everybody stand to your feet with me. And let's just take a moment. Let's solidify this message. Let's be rejoicers in what we heard today by just singing this song through. Just one time, let's worship the Lord. Go ahead, Shannon, lead us in worship. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.